We're in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. We're at the end of this chapter. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. That's where we're at as we continue on here. As uh, We've been looking at all these different uh, uh, things that uh, Paul has been talking about. Uh, the teachings, the different teachings of the Gnostics. And uh, we're going to continue on this morning looking at this last one that he has here in this particular uh, paragraph, verses 20 through 23 of Colossians chapter 2. So if you found your place, if you'd stand with me and follow along as I read these verses, Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? 21. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Verse 22. Which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Verse 23. These things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege that we have to to be here and to study Your Word. We thank You that we have it in our language, that we can read it. We know that there are still many, many peoples around this world who do not have the Word of God in their language. We thank You that we have it in our language, that we can read it, that we can study it, and we can apply it to our lives. And we pray that we would try to do that this morning. We thank You for Your blessings now. We pray that You'd be guiding in this service. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Again, Paul has been warning the Colossian believers about these false teachings of the Gnostics. Remember back in verse 4, he was talking about the persuasive words. Uh, then in verse 8, the, the worldly philosophy. Uh, verses 11 through 17, the, the legalism. Uh, verses 18 and 19 that we looked at last week, uh, the, the mysticism. And then now as we come to verses 20 through 23, uh, he, he is warning against this uh, false teaching of asceticism. And we think, well, what is asceticism? That sure is a big word. Uh, Asceticism. First, we need to know what asceticism is not. Asceticism is not just going on a diet. And of course, uh, every time I look in the mirror, I think, boy, I probably should go on a diet. But uh, just going on a diet is not asceticism. Uh, Fasting is not asceticism. Being a vegetarian is not asceticism. Uh, Sleeping on the floor, uh, not using the air conditioning, uh, not marrying, or not using caffeine. These are all things that people do for, for different reasons, but these are not asceticism in and of themselves. What asceticism is? It's a religious philosophy which teaches that those who deprive their physical body of its normal desires are able to achieve a greater holiness and approval from God. There seems to be ascetics 
in just about every religious group in history, including Christianity. There was a group uh, many, many, many years ago called the Essenes. And I found this information from the JewishEncyclopedia.com. So I found it online. Uh, and they, they say this, A branch of the Pharisees who conformed to the most rigid rules of the Levitical purity while aspiring to the highest degree of holiness. They lived solely by the work of their hands and in a state of communism, devoted their time to study and devotion and to the practice of benevolence and refrained as far as feasible from sensual pleasures in order to be initiated into the highest mysteries of heaven and cause the expected messianic time to come. Well, basically what they're saying is that there was this group, uh, this Jewish group that were called the Essenes, and what they did was that they lived a very rigid life, uh, tried to live very pure and, 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 and holy lives, which uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But they did this all for the purpose, basically, of trying to be more uh, holy and gaining approval from God. And so they lived without things and, and did without things uh, in order to, to be more holy in God's sight. And, and to, uh, it says here, to be initiated into the highest mysteries of heaven. And so the, the problem is, it's not doing certain things that's the problem. It's doing them for a reason. And the reason being that they desire to be more holy than other people. It's like here this morning. Uh, we came in, when I came in this morning, when when first group of us walked in the church this morning, guess what? It was kind of cool in here. And why was it cool in the church? Because it's cool outside. And we didn't have the furnace on yet. And so what what did we do? First thing I did was, after I flipped the lights on, I went and turned the furnace on. Because <laughs> I didn't want it to be 60 degrees in here. I wanted it to be closer to 70 degrees. <laughs> 70 degrees is a little bit more comfortable. But the idea with these people is, while you come into church, if it's 60 degrees, if it's 40 degrees outside and it's 40 degrees inside, you just go with it because it'll make you more holy before God to do that. You see, they were trying to deprive themselves to be more holy before God. And that's asceticism. Depriving ourselves of, of certain normal things so that we can be more holy before God. And folks, these things do not make us more holy before God. But that's what the Apostle Paul is, is a warning against here in these verses, verses 20 through 23. Asceticism comes from the Greek word askesis, which means exercise, training, or discipline. And if, when you hear those words, well, there's, there's a place for exercise. There's, there's a place for training, and there's a place for discipline in the Christian life. These are all good things in and of themselves. But when they're taken to an extreme, and they've become the standard of greater holiness and spirituality, which is just what the Gnostics 
were proclaiming that they did. And that was the problem. And so Paul is saying that this is something to be warned about. And so that's where we're at here in Colossians chapter 2. And verse, verse 20, he starts out with the errors of asceticism. Three errors of asceticism. First, it starts out, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ. See, the first error is that they ignore the believer's relationship with the death of Christ. They ignore the believer's relationship with the dead in Christ, with the death of Christ. Uh, in the King James, it says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ. Now, many times when we see that word if, it would be better understood since, because it's not a question mark. It's because something is true. It's not, a, it's not something to doubt. It's something that is a fact. And so it would be better to say, in some of your newer translations, it maybe even says this, Wherefore, since you are dead with Christ. And of course, we know that the Bible makes this very clear. Uh, back in verse 12 of chapter 2 here, it says, Buried with Him. Well, we were buried with Christ. Uh, that's, we have that relationship. We have uh, that identification with Jesus Christ in His death. We were buried with Him. And then later on, it's going to say, risen with Him in verse 12. That's because we have that identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this identification, though, that Paul is, is referring to here in verse 20, this identification with Christ's death for the believer uh, has separated us from the rudiments of the world. The rudiments there is talking about the elementary principles of the world. Again, here in chapter 2, verse 8, it said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so some of these elementary principles, these rudiments of the world, as they're called here, uh, are, in, are including in the Old Testament law that we've already talked about here in this, uh, in this chapter two or three different times that the Gnostics were trying to do. Trying to teach the Colossian believers that they needed to do these kinds of things. But it ignores the fact that, as we read here in verse 14, that Christ's death on the cross has totally satisfied God's broken law. Christ's death on the cross has totally satisfied God's broken law. And so believers then, in the first century, and still today, we are dead to those obligations. We're dead to those obligations. So that's the first error. The second error is, is the error that sees believers as part of this world system. It goes on here in verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And so it's this part here. Uh, why, as though living in the world? The Colossian believers, just like us today... They were still in the world. 
We still live in this world, but the Bible makes it clear that we are not to be part of this world. We died with Christ, and we're also risen with Him, as we've already looked at. And so our manner of living is to reflect the fact that we were raised to new life in Christ, and not to reflect our old sin nature. And so that's the second error that they had. The third error that we see here at the end of verse 20 is that the error that believes that believers are subject to ordinances. And it's, that's what it says there, that you're subject to ordinances there at the end of verse 20. And these ordinances are, are again, uh, they're related to the Old Testament law. In fact, the word ordinances here uh, is, is the Greek word dogma. Did you get that? Dogma? And, it's, it's, uh, and, and the idea here is that you are subject to or you are to submit to dogma. And again, it's referring to the Old Testament law. And so the, uh, the asceticism is that they were to follow the Old Testament law in all of its different points. But what we see here is that, uh, is that it's in the past tense. And so what it seems like is that the false teachers were trying to place these dogma on the believers there in Colossae. Uh, and yet it hasn't been completed yet. And the reason that it probably hasn't been completed goes back to verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet am I, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Remember, we went through that, and it was talking about their order that they were standing as a, as a group of soldiers in their orderly lines as troops. And so they were still in order and that they had their steadfastness in their faith. And so they were standing true to Jesus Christ. And so this had not overtaken them yet. And so that's what we believe it means here. Uh, since it's not in the past tense, it's that they're still trying to work on this on these, on these believers. And so Paul was warning them not to succumb to this. And then he gives here in verse 21 some different examples of asceticism. He says, touch not, taste not, handle not. And of course, when we go back to the Old Testament, uh, we, we think of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments in particular, and we, we remember those phrase, the phrase, uh, that many of the Ten Commandments starts with, Thou shalt not. Now, I, I just remembered something. Uh, several years ago, we were traveling down south, headed toward uh, Springfield and Branson area, and we saw this uh, billboard. And it was uh, uh, advertising the uh, Sight and Sound Theater because they were going to be uh, showing the uh, their their new play uh, about Moses, and, and it was they had a very clever billboard that said, "Thou shalt not miss Moses." <laughs> it was it was pretty clever, but but we understand, "Thou shalt nots." We understand that, 
And here in verse 21, he's talking about some of those things. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Some of those that follow this teaching, uh, this, uh, these ascetic practices, uh, they, bring, they, they believe that they bring greater holiness and spirituality uh, to themselves and to those that follow these things. And there are still people that, that uh, teach this today. And what they say that Paul is doing here in verse 29 is that Paul is giving, uh, uh, that, that Paul is affirming uh, their asceticism instead of just giving examples of what the false teachers are teaching. And what they do today is they still twist the scriptures. You see, the flesh or the sin nature cannot be physically starved into submission. Our sin nature cannot be physically starved into submission. We need to remember that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. And he's not giving an exhaustive list here in verse 21. These are just some examples of some of the... uh, uh, some of the teachings of the of the Gnostic teachers, the false teachers, but some of those things that I mentioned up in in the introduction, these things such as uh, uh, fasting, uh, sleeping on the floor, uh, uh, not using caffeine, any of these kind of things. Some people use these kind of things. These things are not wrong in and of themselves, but when we use these kinds of things. To be more spiritual, be more holy, more acceptable to God. That's when they become wrong. Anything that we do that we think makes us more acceptable to God, folks, we are not acceptable to God. All our righteousnesses, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. That's our righteousnesses, are as filthy rags before God. There's nothing that makes us more acceptable to God. God loves us anyway, despite our failures, despite our sin and so forth. And He loves us and He wants us to draw close to Him as we turn away from the sinful things that we know are very clear in the Scriptures. And so Paul's not trying to give an exhaustive list here. But any of these things could be used uh, for the purpose of supposedly becoming more holy or spiritual. That that we've mentioned that that some of these uh, uh, people do in their lives. And then he talks about the empty value of asceticism. The empty value of asceticism in verses 22 and 23. These items... Do not last, he says here in verse 22. Look what he says. He says, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. These items don't last. They are going to perish. These, the food items in view, they, they don't last. We know that. Uh, the few these food items they were a large part of the uh, Gnostic and the ascetic system uh, of of denying themselves these kind of things. Uh, the normal usage of prohibited foods 
We, we know that they perish, they decay, they decompose, they are used up. That's what happens with food. Now, my brother brought donuts this morning and we all ate a, ate a donut or two uh, down in, in Sunday school. And some of you have been able to enjoy a donut since you've been here. And uh, he's put them out there on the back. So if, if, I'm just going to give a little advertisement. If you want one on your way out, that's, that, they're free there. Take one and you can have a donut on the way home, whatever. Or save it for tomorrow, whatever you want to do. But... Uh, if, if nobody takes those donuts and they just sit there all week, what's going to happen to those donuts? They're, they're going to be wasted. They're, they're, going to, they're going to start molding and stuff like that. And, and they're, they're going to be no good. We know that's what happens with food. And same thing, uh, you probably have this problem in, at your home just like we do at ours. Sometimes we'll stick something after we've had, had a meal and we stick it, the leftovers in a container and we stick it in the fridge, and what do we do? Well, we forget about it. What happens to the food in the fridge? Well, it goes bad. It gets moldy. It goes bad. And you have to throw it out. And, and so whether we, we would leave it or where the, whether we would use it up, when we eat it, we know what happens. It goes through our system, and, and then it's, it's eliminated. And so that's what happens with food. That's just the normal process of food. We understand that. And, and so that's what we've, we've even talked about this earlier. I think it's in, in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to turn back there. Mark chapter 7. And uh, verse 18. Mark chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatever thing from outside entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the stomach, and goeth out into the drought, drought purging all foods. And so Jesus has already talked about that a little bit. And so how can these things have power over a man if, if a man can destroy them by using them up? They don't have any power over a man. And so that's what Jesus is basically saying. And then secondly, as we come back here to, uh, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22... Uh, the ascetics' commands do not come from God. He says, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. The last half of this verse mainly goes back to verse 20, that these dogmas uh, are the teachings of men and do not come from God. And Jesus said something similar back again, back in Mark chapter 7, uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. This is Jesus speaking again. It says, He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. However, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside... The commandments of God, ye hold her to the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, 
that ye may keep your own tradition. And so, that's what the Apostle Paul was saying here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, the last half there, after the commandments and doctrines of men. These Gnostics were teaching these things, and he says, they're just the teachings of men. They're not the teachings come from God. Well, some will come along and say, well, these prohibitions, these commands, do come from God because they're in the Old Testament law. And we have to think, well... What is he saying here? First, those that hold these commands disregard the fact that God took them out of the way. Remember verse 14 of chapter 2 here of Colossians? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. And so those Old Testament laws and commands have been taken out of the way. There's a time when we lived down in, the, in, the, in Rolla, Missouri, and close to the high school, for some reason, the city, I don't remember what the reasoning was, that I'm sure they had a reason, at least in their minds, they decided to change an intersection. One road had a stop sign at it, at the intersection, and the other road was the through road. We've all seen this happen in cities. Well, the city decided to change it around. Change the way they had the stop sign, make that the way through, and the other direction that had used to be the stops or the way through, they put the stop sign. It was very confusing to people. Very confusing. In fact, it was close to the high school. And guess what's happening? There's high school kids driving through there. And, and, and some of them aren't the best drivers anyway. And so you come up. The problem was you'd come up and you were the one that was supposed to go straight through now. There were people that were stopping in front of you because they were always used to stopping. Or maybe you were coming up the other way that you were used to doing going through and you were now stopping People weren't stopping, and you had to be careful that you didn't get in a crash because it was just confusing. And so this was this is similar to the situation that we that we have here uh, with these Old Testament laws, these Old Testament commands. That it used to be because remember many of the new believers in the first century they were Jewish, they had always done things a certain way. But now those Old Testament commands have been taken out of the way. And so it was confusing at first. And that's why Paul is making it clear back in verse 14 that Christ has took those things, taken them out of the way. So God took those stop eating signs out of the way. And yet there were still some Christians that were acting as if they were still there. And the same thing is still true today. There are some Christians that still do that. That, well, it's in the Old Testament. It must be true. But the problem is, when we think about the Old Testament and the Old Testament law, the books of Moses, did you know, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something here, you probably know this, but probably maybe just never put it all together, that there were actually in 
the books of Moses three different rules for diet in the books of Moses. Three different sets of rules. Most of us know these things, but we never really put them together. I'm going to turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the first book of Moses. It's part of the Old Testament law. It's those first first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also called the Pentateuch. These are the books of Moses. These are the books of the law. And in Genesis chapter 1, let me find my verses here, verses 28 and 29. Listen to what God said about eating. This is what God said about eating things in Genesis 1, 28 and 29. And God blessed them, talking about uh, Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for food so the first thing that he told adam and eve or one of the first things that he told adam and eve was that you can go and eat of anything that grows from the ground basically what's he saying you're vegetarians that's what he told adam and eve Everything that comes from a tree, everything that grows on the ground, you can eat any of that. I've given it to you for food. Well, no meat. And what do we call that today? We call that a vegetarian. And that's in Genesis chapter 1. And then we go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Let me see here, verses 1 through 4. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is right after the flood. Okay, the flood has taken place, and now God blesses Noah and his sons. Multiply, fill the earth, verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you. Did you hear that? Every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you. All creatures that I have made, you can eat them all. Even as the green herb have I given you all things, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Basically what he's saying is, you can eat all the vegetation that you want, and you can eat all the meat that you want. Just don't eat the meat with the blood. And again, we understand that. Just as uh, uh, hunters... I'm not a hunter, but I've, I've seen hunters. Uh, I know deer hunting is, I hope it's on the way, at least close in, in Missouri sometime soon, because uh, there's just all kinds of deer in our area that they need to be uh, thinning out. But uh, well, many times when you, when you see pictures of hunters that have 
gotten a deer, what do they do? They hung, hang it up in a tree. They hang it up in a tree. And what are they doing that for? They're letting the blood drain out. That's what they're doing. They're letting the blood drain out. And that way, as soon as they get ready to, to take care of it, to uh, uh, cut it up and so forth, it's ready to go. And so that's what they're doing. That's what, that's what uh, God told Noah and his sons. You can eat any meat, just let the blood drain out. And now obviously there's going to be a little bit of blood or else the, the meat's not going to be red. But uh, the idea there is basically let the blood drain out. And of course when uh, cows and, and other animals go to, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the place? The slaughterhouse, yes, uh, they make sure all that's taken care of. And so we don't have that problem. But the thing is, we see in Genesis 1 and then in Genesis 9, a different kind of dietary regulations. And then, of course, then the Old Testament law, Mosaic law, kicks in. And then there was things you could eat and couldn't eat. You couldn't eat all the different animals. Uh, You couldn't eat... Uh, you couldn't eat the pigs, you couldn't eat certain birds, you couldn't eat this, couldn't eat that. Uh, but certain things you could eat. And so we see there's the third, three different kinds of dietary regulations in five books of the Bible. And so they want to pick out those ones from Moses, that those are the ones that we got to follow. And then when we come to the New Testament, we know again it says... God says, you can eat everything. You can eat everything. Just take it with thanksgiving. You can eat anything. So that's the New Testament uh, teaching that everything is okay to eat. And so we have all these different rules that people have come up with uh, that they want to follow. Uh, and they want to follow these Old Testament laws, even though Christ is clearly taking these things out of the way with His death on the cross. And then as we, we continue on here, it says, um, verse 23, These things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, but not, uh, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. These ascetic practices had, and still do in some circles, have the reputation of wisdom. The reputation of a very religious person. That's the idea of will worship. It's related to that word worshiping back up in verse 18. And these ideas and commands, these teachings have the reputation of humility. The reputation of neglecting the body. Uh, and again, part of that idea of neglecting the body is the idea that the body is evil. The body is evil. It's the, the line of thinking that the, our sin nature, our sin nature uses the body to act out uh, a great deal of sinfulness. And so they came up with the conclusion that our bodies are evil because the sin nature uses them. And so the physical body, they would say, must be subjected to pain and punishment. And again, it sounds logical, <coughs> but it's not biblical. It's not biblical. 
associated with this with this line of thinking uh, is is the area of the of the uh, of the physical fitness and physical health. Uh, that physical fitness and physical health have a direct correlation with godliness. And it tells us, though, over in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, 1 Timothy 4, 8, he says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. Then notice it doesn't say no profit. It says profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And what he's getting at here in in 1 Timothy is that bodily exercise only profits in the here and now. My brother, he's a police officer. He works out. And we're glad he does. Now, the last time he and I wrestled, quote-unquote, fought as little kids, I was the winner. (laughs) I'm sure he remembers it very well. I do. (laughs) But why was that? Well, I'm two years older than him. I was bigger than him. It's just logical. I was bigger and stronger. That's just logical when you're in grade school. But guess what? We're now both adults. He works out with weights. He knows he's had training with with fighting and stuff. Guess what? I haven't. (laughs) I'm not fighting him anymore. (laughs) It's pretty obvious. Okay? But this bodily exercise, he exercises. He works out with weight. Guess what I do? I walk on a treadmill. Why? Because my heart needs exercise. That's what my doctor says. You need to have heart exercise, and I get that by walking. I can't run anymore uh, uh, because I've had a knee replacement. And the doctor says, you can't run. So guess what I do? I walk. I walk every morning. I didn't walk this morning. I had too much to do today. But I usually walk every morning at least a couple miles on the treadmill. And guess what that is doing good for me? It's trying to help me maintain some health in this life. But walking on the treadmill does not help me in eternity. It does not. My brother working out with weights does not help him in eternity. It helps us now in this life, but it doesn't help us in eternity. But godliness not only helps us now in this life, but it also helps us throughout eternity. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy. But these Gnostics are trying to say, if you have the physical fitness now, it also helps you spiritually. Folks, it does not. It does not. Now, it's good to be physically fit. We need to exercise. We know that because it helps us now. But it does not help us spiritually. It does not help us uh, in the world to come, in the life to come. And that's what Paul is saying here in Colossians. That it's, uh, these things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body. Uh, and so it does all these things. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So 
That's what these things are for, for just our human physical body. But they do not help us spiritually. You see, the problem is that they, as I mentioned, that they correlate the physical body with sinfulness. And so the physical body was, uh, was something that was bad, no good. But the problem is, again, that is not biblical. Remember, who created these bodies? God did. And when God created Adam and Eve in the beginning with their physical bodies, at the end of that, those days of creation, what did God say? Everything that He had made was very good. Very good. And so these physical bodies are not sinful of themselves. We need to remember that. So these physical bodies are not sinful in themselves. Our bodies are not the problem. Our bodies are not the problem. These ascetic practices do not uh, exterminate or even suppress the sinful desires of our flesh. That's what he's getting at here at the end of, of, of verse 22, at the end of the chapter here. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. These practices do not do what they claim that they did. They do not produce what they promise. We need to remember what what Jesus said as we kind of close here this morning. We need to remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist and himself back in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to turn there just as we kind of close up here this morning. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verses 33 and 34. Luke chapter 7, verses 33 and 34. For John the Baptist, this is Jesus speaking, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a demon. Verse 34. The Son of Man, talking about Himself, Jesus, is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, the people saw, the, saw Jesus and John the Baptist and saw that they were contrasted one with the other in some basic physical things. Now, these extremes, neither one were correct. Okay, John the Baptist was not, was not filled with a demon. Okay, we need to make sure that we understand that. And in verse 34, Jesus was not a wine-bibber or a drunkard and, and so forth. So, neither one of these extremes that they put Jesus and John the Baptist in were correct. John was not uh, filled with a demon. Jesus was not a drunkard. Neither one were correct. But, Jesus is saying here that there were differences between Himself and John. There were. Jesus, as the Son of God, we know was a completely godly man, 100%. But John, who was different than Jesus, he was also a godly man. Parts of their lifestyles had some clear contrast, and yet both men were men of God and used of God. We need to remember that. 
Because that is still true today. That we maybe have some differences in our lives. And God can still use you and He can still use me even though we may be different. Have some differences of lifestyle in certain areas. Differences of opinions on certain things. We can be different and God can still use us. And that's what He's saying here in the book of Colossians. Here in chapter 2 as we finish up, chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul has been telling the Colossians and us what not to do. The teachings not to follow. Don't follow those silver tongue persuasive preachers. Don't follow that worldly philosophy. Don't follow that legalism. Don't follow the mysticism. Don't follow the asceticism. And we think, well, that kind of sounds like a bunch of those thou shalt nots. Well, it has some similarities to that. But as we come to chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, Paul is going to turn his attention on the things that we should do as Christians. The things that we should follow. The things that we should practice as Christians. And these are some things that are going to be very clear and very easy to understand, most of them. And we're going to be able to look at our lives and say, are these the things that I am doing? The things that I'm not supposed to do are in one category, but now the things that I am supposed to be doing, the things that I am supposed to be pursuing, what are those things? And he's going to get into those things here in Colossians chapter 3 and 4 as we continue on in this book. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your watch care over us. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we know that we're all different. We understand that. But Lord, we also know that you can use each of us just the way you made us. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to follow the clear teachings of your word of what we are to do and what we're not to do so that we might be clearly following you and leading a life of godliness. We know that there are physical differences with all of us, but Lord, help us to follow you and your word that we may be able to draw close to you, that we may be uh, seeking godliness, pursuing godliness in our life. We thank you for this time. We pray your blessing now on each one in Jesus' name.